Holy God, may the words of my mouth and the meditations of all of our hearts be acceptable to you, O Lord, our rock and our redeemer. Amen. I got this Thanksgiving chair, and it's my Thanksgiving chair. And it says it right here. And you have a sign just like it in your bulletin. When gratitude becomes your default setting, life changes. So I declare, hearing, hearing, thus saith the pastor. We need a gratitudinal change. That's a mouthful. I had to actually practice that. <laughs> gratitudinal change. Have you ever thought about Thanksgiving? like you just saw in that video. There's nothing like reading the words, giving thanks to God in all circumstances, and then watching it. And how that chair appeared, whether his day or his moment was great or it was difficult, there he sat and took the time to give thanks. So we think about individuals, that's one thing. We all know people that are really good at giving thanks, many of whom are in the sanctuary today. And so now what I want to talk to you a little bit about is there was this really cool church and they were really good at Thanksgiving when it was the hardest to be thankful. So the story goes like this. There's this church that Paul and his apprentice Silas went and planted. And they're in this place called Thessalonica, referred to as the Thessalonians. And so Paul was about seeing no parameters or fences on giving the word of hope and faith and love about Jesus Christ. Before everyone had to walk to get everywhere, he was walking, sailing, going everywhere he could, planting all these churches. And just in case you want to know this for Bible trivia the next time, how many letters in the New Testament did Paul write? It's often thought of as an unlucky number, especially on Friday. 13, that's right. 13 letters. And here's what's really cool about Paul. In 12 of those letters, when he writes back to the churches that he's planted, he always starts with thanksgiving. There's this great line that echoes from Philippians to Thessalonians about him saying, I thank my God upon my every remembrance of you. How he holds the people in his heart. So here's the story. He goes to Silas and he plants this church in Thessalonica. And they're just kind of getting going. The movement has started. People are coming to Christ. And lo and behold, because they are out there preaching and teaching of course, Paul's going to get in trouble. And this wasn't just any kind of trouble. This was big trouble. All of a sudden, people were being persecuted for their faith. So they're barely Christians. They're new and following Jesus. The good work has just begun, and I'm sure Paul thought there was a lot more work to do before he sailed off to the next place. And in comes this mob. And literally, he and Silas have to run for their lives because there's more churches to be planted 
So imagine what Paul must have been thinking as they're leaving this new church. These people are getting persecuted and they head out. So after a time, when he discovers that it's safer and he's off to the next place, he sends Timothy back. And you can just imagine that conversation. Timothy, I have no idea what you're going to find. We barely got this church started because they're new Christians. They are getting tortured and persecuted. And then Timothy goes, and he finds exactly the opposite. Because they're in a state of adversity, their faith kicks in all the more. And he can't wait. And he gets back to Paul and he goes, it's amazing what God is doing to that church. Even in the midst of persecution, they are being faithful to Christ. They're being faithful to one another. And Paul is so elated, he sends them this first Thessalonians letter that we know in the New Testament. Now, I will say this, if you are familiar at all with Paul, he's not the kind of person that just throws out things or compliments. He's kind of an edgy preacher. He's about holding people accountable. And so where all the letters start, except for for Galatians, he had to get right to work on that one. He starts with praise. He can't stop thanking God for the people of Thessalonica. He thanks God in the first chapter. He thanks God in the middle of the second chapter. He thanks God in the third chapter, and there's only five chapters. This is big for Paul. And so here we have this model when gratitude is your default setting. Life change, and that's still true today. What an example that is for us. For we know that research has pointed out in psychology, in sociology, in the study of people, that if you are a person who counts for blessings, if you are a person who just naturally is good at thanking God and thanking those around you for the gifts they give you, it does have dramatical evidence for your spiritual health, your physical health, um, your emotional health, and your mental health. Literally, there are folks who go through the greatest adversities, who go through cancer and illness, and they do far, far better than those who lie and just are somber. So many stories of people, I'm sure, that you have come to mind, been through so much adversity, and somehow they just yank out that Thanksgiving chair, and they just sit a spell no matter if the days are good or hard, because here's the truth, right? We cannot control so many of our circumstances. Yes, we make choices, and some of them probably aren't that great. Probably God would have us go a different direction, but there are many circumstances like COVID that we can't control. It's bigger than we are. So imagine you could look at world crises and adversity in your life, and you could let that, and we've all done it. Usually we have some bad habit or some worry or a fear, and we have it for a long time. It's almost hard for us to imagine. So I know a church where the pastor actually decided that she and the congregation, this is a true story, 
She asked them for one year from Thanksgiving to Thanksgiving, if every night when they went to bed, they thank God for five things. It could be the same things. Might change from day to day. And literally, it changed the people, their own personal lives, their relationships. It changed the life of the church. Not that they were bad at giving thanks before, but it became really personal. And here's what happened to those fears and those worries and those situations that before they did that would just cut them to the quick, would bring them to their knees. Well, when it's not the first thought, and instead there's five giving thanks, it drops to number six on the list. Imagine four days in, all of those thanks, and it drops even further down the list. And it loses some of its power as we learn to trust God. And it says it right there in our little verse, tiny verse, big punch, right? People will say, what is, the will of, uh, what is the will of God for my life? You just got to be thankful, to show love. And according to Paul, faith, hope, and love mean everything. So what I thought I would do today, <clears throat> if you're going to ask the people to give thanks, you should do it first. And instead of doing it for me and my life, I'm going to do it like Paul did it. And I'm going to take you with me like a little girl with her dad at the end of the video. And I want you to imagine that you're sitting with me in my Thanksgiving chair. Are you ready for some thanks? I thank God that when I stand here in the chancel, I'm either serving communion to the choir, I'm praying before worship, or a lot of times I bring new members class in here and I kind of lean against the table. And we're better to talk about worship than in the chancel. And for many new members, they never get to sit up here. So it's like, ooh, behind the scenes. I have to clean up the bench first. <laughs> but it's all good. When I'm up here, I'm probably passing out trays to elders and deacons for communion. When I'm up here, sometimes I'm sitting on the ground. Okay, I did a lot more of that five years ago, the older I get. Sometimes I stand, and the children are everywhere. And there's children chats. And it doesn't matter who does them. It's just amazing. And oh, how I miss the Lord's Prayer. Before COVID, we would call the children forward. And some point, when we get to do that again, we're going to put the camera behind us. Maybe we'll lift the sandy can. And you get to see what Kate and I and the choir gets to see. Kids are so excited to come up here and say the Lord's Prayer. They are running at us. They own the place. And how wonderful to know that that's instilled in them when they're so little. Some of them are first walkers. And then we know later that it's going to be so natural to hang out in church and to be up front. They're going to be the liturgists and the communion servers. They're going to be saying the, lit the liturgy at new members. And so then if I take my chair right here, this is a really cool spot. And I thank everyone who's ever asked me to officiate their wedding. And I learned about five years in 
So all of a sudden, through the middle of the wedding service, I want them to be seen by the people. So they come up with their best man and their maid of honor, and I go down, and this is where they say their vows, and they exchange rings. And after that, I come running back up, and I put my hand on their hands, and we bless the rings, and I pronounce them by the grace of God. Husband and wife, partner and partner. What a thrill. Thank you. Thank you for that. Okay, so I, I'm too old to balance on the staircase, but I'll just do this. There's really cool things that happen on the staircase, and the first time I saw the really cool thing was at my own installation service in 2001, where many of you in the sanctuary today were way back in high school, and you were singing a song at my installation. All the many songs at the end of the Easter service, the Hallelujah Chorus. Oh, mommy. So many wonderful things on the staircase. The ordination of elders and deacons when they kneel on the stairs and everybody out in the congregation who's an elder or deacon comes flying up here and they are surrounded as they're kneeling facing the table. Hands everywhere. Holy Spirit at work. What's normally here? The baptismal font, right? Ooh. So here's a little side story. When I came, Rick Peters was the head of staff. He looked at me and he said, so do you like baptism? And I looked at him and said, oh, I love baptism. I got a thing about baptism. And he said, well, I've done a lot of baptisms. I'll give you a lot of baptisms. And I went, I'll take a job. And then he had the audacity to have grandchildren and want all baptisms back. So then we keep track. Who did the last baptism? So that we were sharing. And I confess, I'm a good sharer in all aspects of life. And Kate can attest to this. Not so good with baptism. I have to work on sharing. I love baptism. So imagine the font. You could have a couple up here. It could be their first baby or their fourth baby. Sometimes there's little ones, and I get to have little brothers and sisters walk with me down the aisle. Sometimes we have adults that need to be baptized on New Member Sunday. How incredible that is. I mean, I can't carry them down the aisle, but it's amazing. And so, if I bring out the chair some more, What I do is, back over here, I've experienced with you at your privilege some of the hardest days of your life because this is where a casket goes as it comes down the aisle. If it's not a casket here, perhaps it's ashes on the communion table. And Terry Deming made this beautiful oak box years ago and we put the ashes in that box. And so whether there's a casket here that I attempt to not cry, giving a benediction at the end of the service, or whether I've literally carried the box down here for a family member to take the ashes out here, the door to the, uh, to the garden for the ash tournament, I can tell you 
those hard moments, and as a pastor, you allowing me to be in that place, the most humble privilege. Thank you for that. And then we come down the aisle, so either I have a baby or I'm walking with an adult. I think Andrew Barker was my last adult, and we see what he's done the aisle. So we walk down this uh, aisle, and then I got to thinking yesterday when I was out here, Confirmation Sunday. So we've done some Confirmation Sundays where all the confirmants are asked to go down the aisle, and the congregation is asked to stand up and to come towards the center, and those who are closest can put their hands on the confirmants, and literally we have this amazing photo of a Confirmation Sunday where we had kids all the way down spaced out and the whole congregation got up towards the center. And what it looked like from our view from up front is just a sea of hands over faces. The kids just got enveloped by the congregation. What an amazing way to start out their life journey with Jesus and the church. And of course, so here's a trivia question for you. So when I bring the babies down and I walk down the aisle, I'll say some things like, we're never going to be the same again because this child is coming to us with gifts and talents and ability and they're already enriching our lives. And as I make the turn, I say a scripture passage from 1 John chapter 3, verse 1. And I know someone who knows it, Pam Gunnarsson, up in the balcony over by the choir. Anyone, can you tell me what, what I say, what scripture that is? I'll start out with the first word, see. Amen. See what love God has for us, that we are called children of God, and so we are. And then I have to get the baby back. That's kind of a sad moment. So thank you. Thank you for joining me in my Thanksgiving chair. And here's what I'm going to do with that insert that we all have in our bulletin. I'm going to take that one, and I'm going to take it to the chair in my office that I sit in a lot. And I'm going to remember every time I walk up to that chair how thankful I am for all of you. And then I'm going to take the one that's in my bulletin, and I'm going to take it home so that I remember when I'm at home to sit a spell in the Thanksgiving chair that I have at my family's. And so I would like to encourage all of us to now take on that practice of thanking God every night for five people, things, situations, whatever it is, dogs, cats, whatever small children say when they when they pray with their parents at night, five things every night till next Thanksgiving Sunday. And we'll see what God does with all of us in this time of gratitude. So like Paul, I thank my God upon my every remembrance of you. And I thank Paul for reminding us that we can give God thanks in all situations and circumstances. Because God is bigger than any adversity. Praise God. Amen.